I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 93, in which we review books, or something like that. I keep changing the title of this uh, podcast episode, so hopefully by the time I post it, I will have just said the same thing that actually gets on the file. We'll see, but it's close enough. You'll understand. I am recording this on Monday, May 28th, 2012. It's um, about 8 o'clock at night. I've had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend, including hashtag MDSI. Uh, yes, on uh, Thursday night, Friday morning at some point, I said, hey, we should uh, kind of track our conversation during Memorial Day, because I knew a lot of folks here in the U.S. anyway had long weekends. And um, although it wasn't a technical sew-in the way we've done other ones where we've kind of declared a 24-hour period and tried to plow through as much sewing as we could, and there were giveaways and all that kind of stuff, it was just sort of a way to kind of keep touch with each other a little bit more during the weekend. So on Twitter, we did do hashtag MDSI, and a few folks participated, and we got to see some pictures of what people were doing, and it was a lot of fun. But I'll talk a little bit more about my own MDSI project a little bit later. Um, it is still technically Memorial Day weekend, but I've, I'm going to record this podcast. I'm not sure if I'll get all the way through actually posting it tonight or if that will happen uh, tomorrow morning, maybe tomorrow at lunchtime. <laughs> I don't know, but I did want to get it recorded tonight because I knew for sure I had tonight free. In any case, uh, in this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit finally about my retreat that I was on a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to, um, that will segue nicely into my works in progress, because that's what I was working on in the retreat. Um, a little bit about, of a Sandy update, a couple of questions or a question I have for you, and then I'm going to do some book reviews. I've got three books I'm going to review in this episode, and we'll do listener feedback, and I have a new thing going on on my blog that I'm going to tell you about, and hopefully I'll be able to get all, all of that done in about 45 minutes. So here we go. Uh, first, my, my guild quilt retreat, which was back in the middle of May, it was the weekend just following Mother's Day, and... Um, I posted on my blog with pictures and everything of, of what I got done, and a few of you were asking to give for me to give a little more information. So I'm not going to give a lot. I'm just going to, because probably by the time all of these works and projects become finishes, then I'll talk about each one more a little bit individually. But just to let you know what I've got going on, um, the class that Lori and I were teaching, my quilt guild peep Lori, taught on paint sticks went really well. It was a lot of fun. And in fact, we finally had to kick people out of the classroom because <laughs> we wanted to um, clean up so that we could get back to our own sewing on retreat, which was pretty funny. We had to keep saying, okay, we're cleaning up now. Okay, we're cleaning up now. And then started actually taking brushes out of people's hands <laughs> so that they would finish and we could get back to our own work. But it was so much fun. A um, couple of folks are, I'm pretty sure, going home and buying paint sticks. <laughs> and we do have have pictures of that class on our Canal Country Quilters blog. That's my guild blog. And I will post the link to the show notes in this episode. And also from, oh gosh, sometime a few days ago, I need to double check. Uh, a post should have gone live. It's one of these that I pre-wrote it and then scheduled it. Should have gone live on Friday on Paint Sticks. So it gives a lot more information about Paint Sticks and everything there. So um, feel free to subscribe to our Quilt Guild blog. We, um, Lori mostly manages it. I help her a little bit here and there, but she's really doing the line, shares the work, and uh, she posts pictures of show and tell every month and that kind of thing. So it's a great way for you to get some eye candy. Um, now, for retreat itself, before I left, I had posted a podcast episode in which I described all the projects I was bringing with me and what I hope to work on. The main project I planned to work on was a baby quilt for a friend. Well, wouldn't you know, I brought all the fabric. I forgot to ever print off the design that I had created in EQ, which meant I had no cutting, um, 
it's not really cutting directions, but I had no idea how many of pieces I needed and all that kind of stuff. All I had with me is the fabric. So I decided, you know, I really better not just try to plow through this because, you know, chances are I'll mess something up and have to rebuy fabric and all that kind of stuff. So that never got touched during the weekend. <laughs> Wouldn't you know? The main thing I wanted to work on was the only one that I couldn't. But what that did mean was I got a lot of other stuff um done. I didn't get any projects completely done, but I did get a lot really moved progressively further in their in their process, which was really good. So the first one um, really was the paint stick peacock. And uh, I had the center done. I kind of knew what I wanted to do with borders. So I made borders and you'll see in the picture, it's um, it looks kind of like a blue mosaic. And what that is, is a stack and slash method. And you cut squares or rectangles or whatever. I've done several quilts using this method. Um, it's a fun, fast way to do a throw quilt or a lap quilt, or it would be a great way to do a baby quilt or a donation quilt. Um, there are tutorials out there for doing them. I was taught how to do it at a retreat a few years back by somebody just who just kind of showed me the process and I've done it and I'm sure there's actually like books and patterns and stuff out there for it. But the basic idea is you stack up a bunch of fabrics, um, you make one slice, then you take the bottom. So now you've got two pieces of your stack. You take the bottom piece from one side and move it up to the top and then you sew all those pieces together. So now you've got, let's say you started out with eight fabrics. Now you've got eight fabrics in a, a stack but they're, now they're two pieces sewn together. And then you make another slash and you take one from the bottom or two up or something and then move it to the top and so on and so forth. So it randomizes the pieces. Um, and then for my, uh, so for my borders what I did is I had a bunch of turquoise based batiks and I cut, I think I started out with, of course I never wrote any of this down, I think I may have started out with five inch squares. Um, but again, they weren't. it wasn't a charm pack, I just cut the five inch squares because I knew I wanted to end up with something about a three and a half inch wide border. Uh, so you, always, you have to start out fairly significantly larger because you're doing a lot of seams in here. And so I stack and slash and stack and slash until I got down to um, I think I cut everything down to four inches, I think is what everything kind of, because when you get all these blocks sewn together, none of them are the same size because of the way the seams work and everything. So you have to kind of find what what um, mutual size you can cut them all to. And I just then stripped all of those pieces together into, I, I had two, I'm not explaining this well, I'm sorry. I had two separate stacks of fabric. So one stack had, one type had four fabrics in it. The other one had a different four fabrics in them and stacked and slashed those so that I would end up with two distinct styles of fabric. And then I alternated those blocks, I'm sorry, styles of blocks. And I alternated those so that you would have some variation in the border. Um, You'll be able to see what I mean when you look at the border. And then, because <laughs> of course I didn't take any pictures of the process either. And then I just stripped them all into one long border because, or one long strip, so that then I could cut to size as I needed. And I was originally thinking, well, I could do all four borders with the stack and slash um, method, but I, I was never convinced I only wanted to do that. I always thought I might want to mess with it a little bit. And so I was laying it out. I was standing at um, the cutting table one of the cutting tables, we have, you know, kind of shared cutting tables in the center of the room at retreat. And I was standing at one of them and I had the peacock in front of me and I had these strips and I was kind of messing around with laying them out. And, you know, as quilters do, they all gathered. <laughs> so I had about five people around me trying to help me figure this out. And what I kind of thought I might do was actually split the border in half and throw a, a narrow black strip in the middle and then do on either side, I would have two um, vertical and then on top and bottom, I'd have two horizontal. So it would end up kind of looking like a shoji screen kind of thing. Um, but as I was laying it out, I was, oh, I'm not sure I really want to do that. Couldn't decide. Well, then um, Vicky from my guild came over and she said, oh no, here's what you need to do. And she just laid it all out and it was perfect. So what ended up happening was Vicky's suggestion and um, I have now renamed the peacock to Vicky's peacock. Although as I told her, that did not mean she got to take it home with her. It will still live in my house, but it will hereafter be known as Vicky's peacock. So Vicky's peacock now has two um, turquoise borders on the right hand side and the bottom. And then the left hand side, I had a solid black Kona with me. So I used that on the left 
and then nothing on the top. It already had a very narrow black border around it. So the very top has a very narrow black border and then it's offset with a, a thinner black border on one side and then the slightly wider turquoise um, borders on the other two side. And it's it's just beautiful. It worked perfectly. So um, now I'm, I'm at the point where I just need to quilt it, which I'm terrified I'm going to mess it up because now I really care about this thing. <laughs> you know, it started out a test project. Now I care about it. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll post pictures again. I'll, again, all of these projects I've already posted pictures of on my blog as soon as I got home from retreat. So you can look back and, and see them, and I'll post a link to that blog entry. Uh, the other project that I really um, made a lot of progress on there was my medallion challenge, my guild medallion challenge. If you recall, this is the one where um, each month for about six months, our one of the women in our guild, the one who was running the challenge, would tell us, okay, for this month you need to do X, and then you need to, you know, in the next month you need to do X. So we started out, we had to do an, a 12 and a half unfinished center medallion block, our choice, because this wasn't getting passed. We were just doing this for ourselves. So for the center medallion, that's the one that I did, um, started out trying to do a Mariner's Compass out of one book, and it just failed miserably, could not get it to work. So I went to a Carol Doak design, and it's still Mariner's Compass-y. It's a little bit more simplified than what your traditional Mariner's Compass is, although the first one was too. It just didn't work well. Um, Carol Doak's worked swimmingly, beautifully. And then the next um, border was just a two and a half inch, uh, I don't remember now whether that's finished or unfinished. I think that was unfinished border. Um, again, our, on that one, it was our choice. So I just did a solid um, gray model. Oh, and by the way, all of this for me, I chose to use Stonehenge fabrics. I wanted to use entirely Stonehenge line, did not add in anything else. So it's all Stonehenge. So I used a gray Stonehenge for that border. The next border then had to be stars or pinwheels. And I did, I wanted to keep in the feel of this quilt. I didn't want to just throw stars or pinwheels in there for the sake of throwing stars and pinwheels. So it took me a long time to decide what to do. And I finally decided I was going to do a deconstructed star, as I called it. And each corner, I have cornerstones, and then there's two rays coming out of each corner heading into the middle. Um, and I kind of played around with, do I want to do just one in either corner? Do I want to do all four? And I finally decided, no, I really wanted to do all four corners. Um, and then it took me a boatload of time to find the right fabrics. This is going to be the most expensive wall hanging I've ever done because I kept buying fabrics online that then when I got them, they weren't quite the same shade that I needed because Stonehenge is really tricky that way. Very, very tricky in terms of seeing what color you're actually looking at. But anyway, um, didn't get the right colors, didn't get the right colors. Finally took it with me to my guild retreat and there's several quilt shops within about, you know, 45 minute drive. Um, and so I took a, a, another guild friend, Florence, and I went to um, Material Rewards, one of my favorite in Danceville, New York. And I found some, they had a, a halfway decent selection of Stonehenge. No one around here carries a lot of it. Um, but they had, you know, kind of a probably 15, 20 bolts of Stonehenge. And so I found two that were a complete departure from any color scheme I had in my head. But I do think they work. I'm still letting it grow on me. Uh, and then. The final border I got put on when I got home, because once again, I had to order fabric for it. I, I kept running out. That's the problem with doing something like this, is you can't plan ahead. You don't know what's coming next to know how much fabric you're going to need. So, you know, every step of the way, I was running myself out of fabric, and I had to keep purchasing it again. Most expensive wall hanging I think I've ever done. Um, so anyway... I do, it, that is now done, uh, in terms of the top is now done, it's completed, I just have to decide what I'm going to do about quilting on that one too. My fortune quilt, which is my donation quilt, I got the binding put on the front of that, so I've just got to finish um, hand sewing it on the back, and that'll be done. I did get two baby receiving blankets started at um, the retreat, and finished them when I got home on Sunday that afternoon. And uh, those are actually gifts for a friend, so those got finished. And I am now working on um, that baby quilt that I did not have with me. I uh, printed off, as soon as I got home, I printed off the design and put it with the fabric. So now I've got it all together, and I just need to get that started. And I am working on the funky landscape, which you'll hear about that a little bit more. Um, I had also talked about bringing with me the Jelly Roll Sampler and the Guild uh, Block of the Month project. Neither of those I didn't get at all to them. Um, I might make one of those, one of my sew day projects or something. You know, they're both nicely in bin, so if I just have something I designate for snow, sew days every time I 
um, head out, I just grab the bin and, and get more progress done on it. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't decided how I'm going to handle that yet. So uh, Memorial Day so in this weekend. Hashtag MDSI. I did work on the funky landscape quilt all weekend. I am not going to post a picture of it yet because I really kind of want to wait at this point until I get it quilted. Um, this weekend I spent, it's raw edge applique, so I spent just doing all the applique and I, I kind of um, did sort of thread sketching in some places and outline quilting in others and that kind of thing. It, it's got a lot of issues. This is not something that's ever going to make it in a show because it has a lot of issues, but I'm learning a lot from it and I'm mostly just freeing myself up through doing this and you know, trying not to worry about planning ahead and trying not to worry about, um, oh gosh, this didn't work out quite the way I wanted to. Okay, well, let me figure out how to make it work, that kind of thing. Unfortunately, the issue it has that really kills it is nothing I can do anything about. It's, um, I think I blogged or maybe talked about this before. I was using old fusible web and it's all over the place. You can see it on the front of the quilt. I won't say it's necessarily heartbreaking because I never expected this to be a masterpiece. Uh, so my expectations were always pretty low, but it's, you know, that's kind of what means it'll never go on a show because you can see it and it just looks sloppy. So I don't like that, but I am still going to poke away at it. I'm still going to do all the things I wanted to do because it's a good way for me to learn how to do all these things. So that's got to be quilted, which probably won't take me that long because um, I know kind of how I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to do some more embellishing on it. So that's kind of what I'm waiting on. But I did get the borders finished. I did get it all put together. So it's it got a lot more progress done, which I'm really pleased with. Um, the other thing I've been doing in my quilty life is I finally got back to watching my Craftsy classes. If you have not tried a class on Craftsy yet, you should. I've talked about Quilt University before, and I've really liked Quilt University in the past. Um, I, you know, I hate to say this, folks, because I usually try not to compare and contrast too much. I like Craftsy better, mostly because Craftsy has video-based classes. Quilt University is all text. And so if you're a text learner, you're fine. You can do well. And I've, you know, I've taken classes in Quilt University and I did fine doing it by text. Um, but Craftsy is just, when you're able to, you know, when you're talking about quilting, gosh, video is just so much better. And their whole format is nice. The way the whole screen is set up, uh, when you're watching a video, you could take notes. It pauses the video automatically when you start to type in the little note box, and then it, it leaves a little um, symbol on the video uh, timeline itself as to where you've got notes, so later you can go back and check them easily. You can post questions to the teacher right while you're watching the video, and again, it cues them to where you are in the video. It's just really nice. Um, and then the teachers also, in addition to the video, there are downloadable resource sheets, but they're not... 500 pages long. You know, again, if you've taken a Quilt University class, if you want to print off one of those classes, you're printing off 20 pages, sometimes more. Um, whereas in Quilt University, the paper part of the class is pretty limited. The other thing I like about Craftsy as compared to Quilt University, Quilt University, when you sign up for a class, you're in it over a specific period of time. It starts on a certain date, it ends on a certain date, because that's when that teacher is going to be there to interact. On Craftsy, once you've bought the class, you can do it whenever. It's a little harder to tell how long the teacher will be available. And in one case, um, Wendy Butler Burns' class, one of the ones I'm taking, she did mention in one of the questions, well, I've signed a year contract, so I'll be available at least through October or something like that. Um, so I think it kind of depends on the class and, and which teacher it is. So that's that's one thing I'd like them to maybe put up somewhere on the class, you know, teacher available for direct feedback until X date or something. That would be helpful. But in any case, I really do enjoy the classes. Um, you can watch the videos on tablets, on iPads. Uh, particularly, I don't have other kinds of tablets, but I know they would do it because iPad is the only one that has issues with certain kinds of video. But you cannot do, you don't have the ability to take the notes and post the questions and stuff on the iPad. You can only do that when you're on your computer. Which again, a little bit of a weakness, but hey, I can live with it. Um, so the classes I'm, I'm working on right now are Art Quilting 101 with Wendy Butler Burns. And I've just started a little bit, a class called Stitch and Slash with Carol Ann Waugh, I believe is how she pronounces her name, W-A-U-G-H. Um, and Stitch and Slash is... Again, it, it's more of an art quilt kind of thing, but you can, it, well, I shouldn't say that, not an art quilt. It's it's a different kind of technique. It's not going to be a pieced quilt. It's not going to be a traditional quilt at all. It's just a technique that you could use in, she said, garments, upholstery. You know, if you're making pillows or whatever, you can also use it in quilts. 
Um, I'm planning on doing it in some of the art quilt kinds of things I've got in my head. So that'll be really nice. Um, I've also got, because I keep buying these when they're on sale, they periodically run them, you know, 50% off. So I'll buy a class then and then <laughs> I'll just get to it whenever. The other two classes I've I've bought are Pictorial Quilting Techniques, another Wendy Butler Burns, and Painted Pictorial Quilts with Annette Kennedy. Um, like I said, I haven't gotten to those yet, but I'm looking forward to them. And then I did also do the Sashiko Zen Pillow Workshop with Pepper Kip Corey. And workshops are slightly less expensive and less extensive, expensive and extensive, at, from the actual classes. So that might be a good entry-level way for you to get involved. Um, Pepper Corey is just a hoot. I really enjoy watching her. I haven't actually made the pillow, but I watched her technique, and I do uh, plan on integrating integrating some Sashiko-style uh, stitching in projects. And I've done some Sashiko in the past, so it, it was just helpful to see her actually do it. Um, so those have been a lot of fun. Again, I highly recommend them. There is a block of the month video on Craftsy. A lot of women in my guild are doing it. I've talked about it on this podcast before. That one's free. So it would be a good way for you to try out the Craftsy format and see if you like it. And so that's just Craftsy.com, C-R-A-F-T-S-Y.com. Um, here's a question for you. I would like to know if anybody has one of these, and if so, point me in the direction. I'm looking for an adjustable height portable craft table that would get tall enough, about 36 inches, I guess, and be sturdy enough for me to use for cutting as a cutting table. So that like when I go to sew days or if I want to just work downstairs while my husband's watching TV or whatever, I could quickly set up a cutting table surface for myself that would be sturdy enough and tall enough, you know, comfortable height for me to use but still be able to be folded up and thrown in my car and portable. Um, and I could also, you know, use it for parties and things as extra serving space. So if anybody's got one of those and want to point me in that direction, that would be great. I'd really appreciate the advice. All right, book reviews. I'm going to try to keep these fairly short, so I'm just kind of pointing you in directions more than anything. I finally bought, after Jay has talked about it for some time now, Jay of Art Quilt Maker fam, Anne Johnston's The Quilter's Book of Design, and I'm specifically talking now about the expanded second edition published in 2008. I think her initial edition was 1998 or something like that. This one, the one that I now have is 2008. Um, It really is, I mean, Jay is absolutely right. It is a great book. I've really gotten a lot out of it. Uh, It's in three parts. Part one goes through three main design principles, balance, unity, and variety. And then the principles, as she's talking about each of those things, she brings in things like rhythm and repetition and, you know, some of those other things Jay and I have been talking about, so it'll be familiar. Um, So that's part one. Part two then goes through six design elements, line, shape, value, color, pattern, and texture. Again, you should That should be ringing a bell if you've been listening to my podcast with me and Jay. And then the final section is, which is the part I actually got the most out of, mostly because part one and part two is going over stuff I've now been studying in a lot of other books. So there wasn't as much new to me, although I did like her format and the way she presents it. The final section to me was what kind of set this apart, made it a little bit different. It's called Design Decisions. And she mostly walks through her own design decisions and her processes using a lot of her quilts as examples. I really, really liked that she did not set herself up as, you know, look at me, I'm really good at this. Rather, in her example, she talked nearly as often about the things that she didn't think worked as well in her own work, as well as what did. So you're kind of seeing both. You know, it was really, I enjoyed that, that she was willing to be honest. You know, it was, there was never anything up there that she said, wow, this is real pizza, you know. (laughs) But it was always, I liked this. Here's what I was trying to do. I I like. I would have liked it to be a little bit more this way. And then generally that then led to the next one in the series. She worked in series, as a lot of art quilters do. Um, and she would then talk about how one thing led to another. I also liked the fact that I could see a lot of examples of the principles and elements at work rather than just one. You know, a lot of books will say, well, here's, you know, we're going to talk about line and they'll show one or two pictures. She had a ton of pictures in there. So it really gives a much more broad stroke understanding of what's going on. You see a lot of examples. Um, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say broad stroke. It it gives a more deep understanding, I guess, because you're seeing a more broad representation is what I'm trying to say. Sorry. Uh, She does have exercises at the end of each chapter. Again, most design books have that. What I I liked about hers, it, it seemed a little more realistic in terms of people's time 
you know, a lot of design books are really set up to be done as workshops. So they give you homework that you're really supposed to spend time on and use fabric and be pasting up and everything. And, and I'm not knocking that. There's a tremendous amount of value to it. I just never actually get it done. What I liked about hers is her homework at the end of each thing was much more in terms of analysis and observation. So it's look at your quilts and ask yourself these questions or look at, see photos of artwork or whatever and look for these things. So it was much more helping you learn to use your eyes and to assess. So I really appreciated that. Um, she does have some more specific uh, types of homework, you know, homework, I shouldn't say, exercises towards the back of the book where she kind of walks through, here's some things you might want to do and actual activities, but they're kind of bunched towards the back. Again, a couple of different things. She had a questionnaire to use how to analyze how you design, how you build a quilt, um, and that helps you see more what you may want to work on um, more in the future, things you might want to do differently. She also offers different ways to start thinking about design um, I'm sorry, she offers ways to start thinking about design in different ways than you might be accustomed to, such as playing with a traditional pattern or cutting fabric without templates. So again, she does get into the hands-on hands kind of stuff, but it's towards the end of the book and it's kind of all at once. So you've worked your way through all of this other stuff first. Um, now, I personally, I don't necessarily love her style of quilts. You know, all the art quilts she showed, and there are some I liked, but most were kind of like, okay, I'm, you know, this is not necessarily grabbing me. But that doesn't matter. I still really appreciated what I learned in the book, and I could see everything she was talking about in the quilts that she was showing. So there was a tremendous amount of value there, even if I'm not looking at her quilt saying, oh, I want to make that quilt tomorrow. You know, that, that wasn't the value of the book. The value in the book was really how she talked about her own process, and I did really appreciate that. Um, the one drawback to the book, and this is such an odd thing, it, it really has nothing to do with the book itself. It has to do with the the decisions the publishers made. It's printed on this very, very pretty, glossy, thick paper. Every page is very nice paper. However, I use a highlighter. And when I was highlighting, you know, I'm highlighting away, and then I'd close the book and I'd come back to it the next day. Something about that paper, the highlighter actually, like, almost ate away at the paper. I've never, I use these highlighters all the time. I've used them for years. I've never had this happen before. So when I went to open the book, the pages actually stuck together and I'd have to tear them apart. It was like they had gotten wet and it actually lifted whole sentences off. <laughs> it was really bizarre. So if you buy this book, the second edition, 2008, and you see that glossy paper in there, I'd really suggest you not use a highlighter. <laughs> I would suggest you use a pen. It was very weird. Other than that, loved the book. Pam and Nikki Lintot's Jelly Roll Dreams. I need to give a huge shout out to listener Carolyn from England who sent this to me. Woohoo! Thank you so much, Carolyn. I really appreciated it. Um, it came on a great day. I needed to have some new eye candy and it was really wonderful. So thank you so much for that, Carolyn. Uh, the Lintot girls with their sponsors, Moda Fabrics and Janome, created a challenge and invited people to design a quilt and their rules were it had to use only one jelly roll, but it could also then use an allowance of up to three yards or meters of extra fabric if required. And then from all the submissions, um, the Lintot girls chose 12 that they felt were the top 12 and they put them in this book. So no quilts in the book were actually designed by the Lintots themselves. They were all submitted by other people and then chosen by the Lintots. Uh, they are placed in order of difficulty. So the easiest ones are in the front getting progressively more difficult towards the back. That being said, um, the most difficult in the back was was considered more challenging because it was diamonds, but it wasn't a seriously complex quilt. So I would say if you're intermediate level, you'd be fine with it. A very careful, patient beginner would probably do fine with it. You could probably pull it off. Um, each quilt is presented in the designer's original fabric choices, and then the Lintots did another color variation on the design, which is always nice. You always like seeing the, the kind of differences you can get. Um, a couple of designs, the, the easier ones, a little similar to those I've seen before, but most were really nicely different. And there were definitely a few I want to try. Um, some of the easy ones at the front would be a great way to use up stash uh, of strips. If you've got, like I do, stacks of two and a half inch strips from exchanges, um, you can use those easily. I mean, I could easily do a donation quilt pretty quickly with a couple of those designs. Um, 
but my my favorite quilt i think in the whole book is the pack mania design which is a fun twist on grandmother's fan block and it's named pack mania because once the designer made it she realized it kind of looked like pac-man so that was that's how it got its name but i do like that one um and for gene of quilted cupcake podcast if you listen to this podcast you need this book there is a very cute cupcake quilt in there so i thought of you when I saw that. Um, I have not made anything, obviously. I just got the book a few days ago. I can't speak for the clarity of directions, but personally, I've never had much of a problem with Lintop books. I've now made a couple of quilts out of them, so I don't really expect this one to be any different. This book promises to be a great addition to my library, so I really, really appreciate it. Again, Carolyn, thank you so much. I enjoy it a lot. So those of you who have got jelly rolls or two and a half inch strips or just fabric you're willing to cut into two and a half inch strips this would be another good addition the final book i'm going to review is color magic for quilters by ann seeley and joyce stewart this is an older book it was published in 1997 uh, so that means all of the fabrics that are used in the book are now out of date you know different colors than what we use now different style well, i shouldn't say different colors different kind of tonal values and such than what we use now, etc. How So if that throws you off, and if you can't see past that, um, you may not want this book. However, if you can get yourself to see past that, this is a fantastic addition to your library. Um, this book was uh, when Vicki from my guild led our color session in our design study group. This was the book she really referenced and obviously worked from once I I saw the book in her hands and I took it. <laughs> well, I didn't take it right out of her hands. Give me that. Um, after our session was over, I said, hey, could I look at that book? And then I flipped through it. I was very polite about the whole thing. Uh, and I flipped through it and decided, yeah, I did need to own this book. Um, there are a ton of books on color for quilters out there. But I really feel like this is a fantastic foundational and probably much more comprehensive one. This is not the kind of quilt that's or book that's going to say, "Hey, pull all the colors from the focus fabric." You know, that's that we see that tip a lot. We see those types of tips a lot. This one really does take an extensive walk through the color wheel. However, it does it in very easy to understand, very easy to digest segments, and it has just an absolute ton of illustrations. So I really, really like it. It also goes far beyond the usual monochromatic, triadic, analogous. All of those color schemes we're kind of used to hearing about, and we'll hear about more. They're important to learn. But um, this book goes beyond that. There's, I counted up. There's actually 24 different color schemes outlined in here, which kind of makes me think. So basically, we can toss any colors we want to into a quilt and make it work. And yeah, that's pretty much true. You just have to kind of think through how you're approaching it. Um, they don't use the term color schemes, actually, but color harmonies. So I'm going to be referring to color harmonies throughout the rest of this quick review. It does, of course, talk about value, solids, prints, visual texture, recognizing color harmonies and multicolor fabric. So that's helpful. So how to take a single print fabric and figure out kind of what color scheme you've got, sorry, color harmony you've got going on in there. It also talks about color and mood. Um, beyond the 24 different color harmonies that they talk about, which I really enjoyed going through, my other favorite part about this book is a section they call block makeovers, which they take one block and they show it two different ways. The first one is a good block, as they say. They never say anything's bad or wrong. It's always good, but then it can be better. So then it'll show it a second time how it can be improved. And um, it really helps you see what a difference knowing about color schemes and the like can, can make a difference in your quilting and in your design. Uh, it does have, as a lot of these books do, several patterns for quilts in the back, so you can buy it and make quilts right out of this book. Um, that wasn't really what I was looking for. For me, the value in the book is everything but the patterns. But the patterns are good, and kind of what a nice thing about it is, again, is each pattern shows, you know, it lists what color harmony it uses. So it's easy to kind of use them again as reference for how these different color harmonies look in a quilt. Um, the patterns run the gamut from easy to advanced, so everybody could find something in there they can make. Now, I, I did have the thought, um, this book was printed before the modern quilt movement officially began, and some of the patterns in there are clearly more a traditional block. There's a beautiful Mariner's Compass, for example. Um, but you know what? Most of those designs, if you just recolor them, you could have a modern quilt. I mean, they really are. They're translatable, um, as a lot of quilts are. So uh, it's, again, it, it's just a nice mix. It, so if you're looking for patterns, particularly, you would find a nice mix in this book. But again, 
that's not what the, the t real strength of this book is. The real strength is in the other part of the book, which is all about the different color harmonies. So here's an announcement for you, and I'll repeat this again briefly at the end of my podcast. I am inspired to add a day to my blog. As you know, I've got Slow Quilt Mondays, Donation Quilt Wednesdays, and Food Fridays, uh, which I finally, this week, I'm kicking back into gear. I know I kind of took a little hiatus, but I'm back in, in step now and getting those things um, posted. I'm now going to start Total Color Tuesdays. Had to come up with something that started with a T, so... <laughs> Instead of just Color Tuesdays, it's Total Color Tuesdays. And what I'm going to do is, starting tomorrow, in fact, or, you know, hopefully whatever this Tuesday is by the time you listen to this episode, Tuesday, May 29th is the first post, I'm going to do a blog linky. And each week I'm going to take one of the color harmonies described in this book, and I'm going to pull fabrics from my stash. I'm not going to make a project. I'm not going to make a quilt. I'm just going to say, here's fabrics that I think kind of exemplify this color harmony. Um, and I'm doing that not to say, here, look what I can do. I'm doing this so I can play with it. So I can say, okay, if I were to make a quilt, that is, for example, this first week is monochromatic. If I'm making a single color harmony, as they call it, I would use these fabrics. Now, obviously, I'm limited by my own stash because I'm not going out to buy fabrics for this, but I'm just playing with what could I do. Um, and then, for example, on this first one, I've already gotten it ready and posted it for monochromatic or single color harmony, I actually did three different colors and just kind of, you know, so the first one is if I did it in green, second one is if I did it in blues, third one is if I did it in this kind of weird pinky color I had. Um, and then I invite you to do the same. So what I'm hoping is those of you who have blogs, you would also then go through your stash, you know, you'd, you'd read through what the post is for that week and what the color harmony is for that week, and then you'd go to your own stash and try to do the same thing and post it to your blog and link back so that if somebody is reading this and they're saying, oh, I'd like to see more examples of this, they can then travel through everybody's blog. And I just think it would be a lot of fun to see what people come up with. And again, I'm not asking you to make a project. I'm saying just go to your stash and pull it out. Now, if you don't have a very big stash, yes, you could use EQ or something like that. But I'm really strongly recommending you work with fabric or images of fabric rather than just, you know, blocks of color like color swatches, because it's, it's a very different experience trying to actually figure out what color this fabric actually is and how to work, particularly when you start getting into multicolored fabrics. It's a whole different experience than when you're just putting color swatches together. So um, that's my new blog linky on Tuesdays, Total Color Tuesdays. I hope you'll play along because I think it'll be fun. So those are my book reviews. I'm going to do some listener feedback now. As I had told you, you guys have been very chatty with me, so I can't feedback to everybody, but I did have a few I wanted to talk about. Um, Landscape Lady had posted way back when I posted, because I'm behind on my listener feedback, so some of these are kind of older. I had posted finally a finish on my blog, which was my pinwheel quilt that I had made with buttons on the yo-yos, and I had described in this blog post about how long this quilt took to finish, because I just kind of kept creating or having these issues along the way. So anyway, uh, she said, um, was, you know, nice quilt, and then she said, glad you didn't just settle for okay and waited for the right inspiration, and, and Landscape Lady, that is something I'm really working on, is just, you know, that's the whole slow quilt movement thing, is not rushing to finish just to be finished, it's waiting until the right thing comes along. Um, Margaret posted on the same thing, Summer of Love all over again, because <laughs> I, I named it Sandy's Hippie Peace Garden, I think is what I named the quilt. Um, Jay said it turned out really well, and the simmering benefited the design, and, and that's, again, it's highlighting the same thing. Um, if you've got a quilt, don't push yourself to finish it unless you've got to wrap it up and hand it to somebody the next day. Let it simmer. Let it let it speak to you and tell you what it needs. Um, Lizzie Allen said the same thing. Sometimes you just have to put something to one side and leave it for a bit. Trying to struggle on when you are not loving the process is not good, and you could end up hating the quilt, wall hanging, etc. Uh, and that's very much true. When I just force something, um, it tends to not become my friend. I tend to just get really... Uh, fried with it. I got a very nice email from Jenny, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm not even sure if I have permission to read the whole thing, although I did want to say she got into quilting because her son 
um, needed a school project. And so as most of us do, when we first start out quilting, we think, oh, we should be able to do this pretty easily. And she described how it wasn't as easy as she thought, but she sent pictures. It looks great. Um, and then she has appreciated all of us quilting podcasters. We have all helped her quite a bit. Uh, and she says, when you started the slow quilt movement, my heart sang it was okay to plot along and fit the project in and around the rest of my life. Um, and that's very true. Again, you know, I think sometimes we can get into, it's sort of a keeping up with the Joneses thing where we feel like, oh, we should be producing. We're hearing about all these other things that are getting finished and we're reading all these blogs that have all these posts of things that are being finished. And sometimes that's just not where we are or where we can be. I wasn't nearly as productive five years ago or seven years ago when my kids were younger and needed a lot more of my time. Um, I can get a lot more done now because I've got a little more time that I can do it with. Uh, but now I'm actually slowing down for other reasons. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not going to be as productive, but I, you know, again, folks, cut yourself some slack. Take a break. Walk away from the sewing machine on occasion if you need to. Don't feel guilty about the time you're not sewing if you just can't get to the machine. You know, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Okay. Um, I can't pronounce your name. I'm going to mispronounce this. Turgy? 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 Uh, I'm sorry. I really, um, I know I should be able to pronounce it and I can't. Uh, but she again on the pinwheel quilt said, I do believe each of your challenges helped guide you towards even better design choices such that the final product is really pleasing. Um, and that's very true. Every problem I have encountered in a quilt has led to a design choice that has ended up, I think, just making the quilt better. So don't let your problems throw you. Look at them as design opportunities, as they say. Um, she did also ask anything interesting on the back. She she says, I'm one of those people that should be assigned my very own white glove escort at quilt shows as I'm always annoyingly interested in the backs. Uh, no, nothing interesting on the back in this one. I just, it's a solid piece of fabric and... Um, in fact, there's a couple of errors on the back. It's a good thing it hangs against a wall. <laughs> so um, thank you for your comment. Sherry said, oh, she talked about the retreat report, and she thinks her spinning guild goes to the same place that my uh, quilt guild goes on our retreat. So if they do, you should go. It's a gorgeous location. Katie from Katie's Quilting Corner podcast. Nice podcast. Um, she said... Oh, she said she wanted to tell me that she's from Budapest. I would have never guessed that, Katie. That's really cool. Uh, she grew up there and moved to the U.S. 15 years ago. She um, didn't hear until I was already on my um, on my trip to Budapest that I was going to be there, so she wasn't able to give me any advice. But she said, um, hope you had some good food and surprised that the river cruise was so much different from the regular cruises. If you're interested in Hungarian cooking, let me know. Uh, Katie, I did come home with Hungarian paprika, both the mild and hot or sweet and hot. I'm sorry. Um, I'm a huge fan of paprika. And so if you have a recipe for chicken paprikash that you like, or the Hungarian soup, or the um, wonderful sort of pickled cucumber salad that I had a lot of places there, it was very light and sweet, and I loved it. So those are the three recipes I would love to have if you've got them. Um, lay them on me. Thank you so much. Uh, let's see. Tori commented on episode 91 in which I get ready for retreat. Um, I talked about my daughter's stuff in the basement, which by the way, still in the basement. She hasn't gotten it cleaned up yet. She got about halfway through. She said, um, I like the idea of all my daughter's stuff in the basement, but one, we don't have a basement in our split foyer home. Two, our storage laundry room is where my husband's train layout is being built. He has loved trains since way before I met him, so I can't cry foul. Three, we are sponsoring two midshipmen from the Naval Academy, and their stuff will be living with us while they're on cruise this summer. That's really super cool. And no, I'm, that was my editorial comment, that super cool thing, not her. I said that. <laughs> Four, our niece and her dog will be with us for two weeks while niece does an internship with the USDA. So I took as much of Katie's stuff that she will not need until school starts and drove it to my mom's for the summer. <laughs> Mom does not have the AC. Um, it does not have AC. The house is from 1720, which is also freaking cool. That's my editorial. So the dreaded mildew factor has to be taken into account. My stash needs to stay near me since, one, I don't want it to get mildewed or borrowed by visiting siblings. Two, I do not want mom to see how much fabric I have. She's a horse rider and not a crafter. And three, I would just miss it too much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tori, for your uh, comment. That really cracked me up when I was reading that. Thanks a lot. 
um, AJ of Nitty AJ, who, by the way, is in the middle of a big move right now. Hope all is going well for you, Nitty AJ. Looking forward to when you get your life back together and can start podcasting again. I had to read your comment because I happened to get it while I was sitting in my design study group, and we decided we have to do this at an upcoming guild retreat. We are going to do this challenge. This is so much fun. Um, she said, that color re wheel reminds me of a of speed scrap scrapbook challenges I used to do online. Um, that would be totally fun. An online get-together where every hour someone posts a new challenge to add to a project. For example, hour one, you use your color wheel to be assigned fabric colors. Hour two, choose a block pattern. Hour three, add a border of flying geese. Hour four, applique something on it, and so on. And of course, there's chatting and photo sharing as well. I think I'll be attempting to make one of those little color wheels very fun. Thanks for sharing that. So uh, what we talked about doing at a retreat is it's sort of, you know, the iron, iron quilter challenge. So we're going to... Um, do something with color and we were even talking about trying to do a, a big wheel of fortune type wheel with the color wheel in just every few hours we wouldn't do it every hour during retreat because we're trying to get other stuff done but like every four to five hours spin the wheel and you have to add that color or something we haven't figured out how that's going to work but man it sounds like fun so we're really working on trying to make that happen um marge or marg in canada says um let's see oh she said uh the the this was a pep, bleh, that sorry posted to episode eighty nine in which we talked texture with Jay. She said uh, I enjoyed this one on my early AM jog. It inspired me to add buttons to my latest project. And then she said you said you think you didn't think that teaching your guild counted as teaching a class. Well, I'm donating a quilt to a tiny museum in the middle of central Alberta, which even in Canada is pretty much the middle of nowhere. And my art quilting friends say, hey, it's still having a quilt in a museum. <laughs> so I say to you, Sandy, hey, it may be just your guild, but it's still a class, uh, which is true. And by the way, congratulations on having your quilt in a museum. That is pretty cool as well. Um, I got a comment from Jackie at So Excited Quilt, um, who was actually on one of my other blogs, and she wants to know more about what my, I've, I referred in this other blog to having a departure from my typical quilting style, and she'd like to hear more about that. So Jackie, at some point when I can actually organize my thoughts better, I probably will talk about it. I think I've referenced it a little bit on this podcast before. Um, but it really is kind of a significant departure for me, and I'm finding myself really thinking about even looking at my fabric. I'm looking at my fabric differently, so um, it's an interesting time for me. We'll see where it goes. Episode, uh, sorry, Lori, oh, this is my friend Lori uh, from Guild, commented on episode 92 that she loved looking at Charlotte's quilts. Again, here we've all been in Guild together, and we see each other's quilts at um, at show and tell, but to sit and see one person's lifetime of quilts is just a different experience. It's really fun. Noni left a comment on episode 92 in which we talked scraps with Charlotte that she wanted me to thank Charlotte for the wonderful bed turning that we were treating to. Um, and yes, I certainly will. And she, and Noni agrees that Char's, uh, Charlotte is so right when she said value is the most important part of the process. If your contrast of values are not correct, the workmanship gets lost. I recently made a quilt that just did not have enough contrast, and I look at it and I think, dull and boring, it might become a UFO if it gets to that stage. Um, and I think that's true. A lot of times when I've made, or I'm working on a quilt and I'm thinking, ah, this isn't doing it for me, it's really, it comes down to contrast. Susan uh, watched, posted on another finish and some homework. She did watch the link I had posted to the Missouri Star tutorial about the baby blankets. Um, and she thanked for that and then thanked me for that. And she said, as for color, looking forward to Jay's next design series with you on color. So woefully color challenged here, not to mention I have a stash the size of a CPU. Uh, so Susan, be paying attention to my blog linkies because you might actually get to play with color some um, Although it will be hard if you have a stash the size of a CPU. I don't know what Jay and my next topic will be. We have been flying tweets back and forth to each other, trying to get together to po to uh, record the next episode, and we're just having problems getting our schedules together again. Amy Laura left a comment on episode 92, again, the Charlotte Scraps quilt thing, and she said uh, she thanks Charlotte for sharing her system and her thought processes. But she says... I did want to mention, as an avid Bonnie Hunter fan, that Bonnie doesn't really do tons of work with strips. She does some, but she does lots and lots of work with squares as well. She does not cut into as many sizes as Charlotte, though. I see that as being the biggest difference between them. Thanks again for sharing. Um, and that's probably true. I know that uh, Bonnie really tries to keep her sizes fairly limited to just three or four different sizes. Um, 
at least as far as I'm aware, although I have not done a lot of work with Bonnie Hunter's stuff, so I cannot speak with any authority. Um, Landscape Lady left a comment on episode 92, says, Charlotte, you are a treasure, and Sandy, you are lucky to have her as a quilting buddy, and I am very um, fortunate in that, because Charlotte really has inspired me to actually start cutting my scraps, really. I used to just give them all to her. Now I'm keeping them to myself. Uh, Teresa uh, left a comment on my post, Slow Quilt Monday, that just went live yesterday, and I referred uh, Slow Quilt Monday, the crappy first draft. Pardon my language if you don't like that word. And she says, I love that book by Anne Lamott, and she's also used the phrase often, changing the one word, because Anne actually uses a different word than crappy. Um, But she says, in quilting, I'm usually too afraid to cut into anything until it is how I know I want it to be. Perhaps you encourage me to experiment more. I also tend to put myself on a schedule and feel disappointed when I don't meet it squarely. I definitely need to give myself some slack. So, yes, Teresa, cut yourself some slack and just go ahead and have fun, because that's what it's supposed to be. And then finally, Kelly um, also posted a comment on Slow Quit Monday, the crappy first draft. Uh, She says, I love this list so much I'm going to post it on the wall in my quilting room and my office. At work, I write a lot of reports. The first draft is always a sloppy copy that's floated around to my coworkers for ideas and input. By the time everyone adds their ideas, it really is a sloppy mess, but the final product is much better for the efforts. Um, And I I love the idea of, yeah, that that fits in very well with the whole idea of the crappy first draft. So if if you're listening to this and you haven't read that blog post yet and you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and read it because it was it was a longer post on a slow quilt Monday than I normally do, but it's really something I am taking to heart right now and really focusing on is that crappy first draft. Um, Kelly goes on to say, I just thought this was cute. My DH saw a box labeled orphans under my bed lately. He said it made him sad. He felt bad that these blocks didn't make it into a quilt. I pulled them out and told him the story behind several of them, how they helped me learn this technique or that color combination. They may find their way into a finished project at some point, but they are still loved. (laughs) I love the fact of your husband being being sad for the orphans under your bed. <laughs> That's just a lovely image, Kelly. Thank you so much for that. Thank you to everybody who posted comments. I did have a lot. I had a lot, and I'm sorry I can't say thank you to all of you. I also have one or two new iTunes reviews, which I always appreciate, so thank you very much for that, too. Um, again, don't forget about the new blog, Linky, Total Color Tuesdays. And uh, other than that, you know how you can get in touch with me. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow the blog. You can find me on Twitter, Pinterest, and Goodreads. You can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us group on Facebook. You can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us group, groups, I should say. There's a couple of them on Flickr and in Seamed Up. And you can also find me on Stitch Talk, Tom Spooler, and Google Plus occasionally. I'm not on those as often. You can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team. And yes, you can still join the Quilting for the Rest of Us group in Big Tent. I have not deserted it. I'm just not as active online lately at all as I have been because I've been trying to get other stuff done. Um, But in any case, you can find links for all of that and a whole lot more fun stuff, including, you know, your quilter when. Make sure you check that out. Um, at my website at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Mm-hmm.